the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Here in the midst of some very scandalous accusations comes a few nuggets of truth. Job chapter 22 is where we're at next on Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner. Hi there, and welcome to Abounding Grace from Reformed Heritage Church right here in San Jose. Our teacher and pastor, Gary Wagner, will have us back in the book of Job once again, chapter 22 specifically, and it's here that we find some amazing accusations, accusations by Eliphaz the Temanite that really sound quite preposterous. But at the end of these accusations, he comes up with a real nugget of truth as it relates to the path of reformation. How do you find restoration with God? Well, that's what we're looking at today. Join us, won't you, for our Friday broadcast of Abounding Grace. Here's Pastor Gary Wagner. Wrestling with Providence. One of the first verses I ever memorized was James 3.10, which states, from the same mouth come both blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be this way. And reading through the first part of chapter 22 is unbelievable in its injustice, lovelessness, hatefulness, and quite frankly, just outright lies. But when we come to verse 22, I can forgive Eliphaz of these things. For the first part of the chapter, because verse 22 through 30 will take us right into heaven. This is one of those golden jewels in God's Word. And my guess is that one of the reasons the Holy Spirit chose to preserve all of the confessions of Job's friends is so we would have these verses, because they are a path to reformation and repentance being recovered. Now, granted, Job didn't need these, at least not like Eliphaz thought he did, but we do. We have to wade through a little bit of bitterness at the beginning of Job 22. It's kind of like your favorite dessert. It's promised at the end of your meal, but you've got to eat those cruddy old chicken livers first. Now, verses 1 through 4 do contain a little gem as well in it, particularly if you take seriously what Eliphaz says here. So let me summarize it. He says, God doesn't need us, but we desperately need Him. Now, there are two doctrines or two attributes of God Eliphaz brings forth here. God's independence and His self-sufficiency. He basically asked Job, Do you think God profits by your godliness? Or do you think that you can injure Him by your wickedness? God doesn't need you. 
God doesn't gain anything when you are good. God doesn't say, I sure am glad you are good today, Job, because I was feeling mighty sad for you. In many respects, Eliphaz is right when he says, the main person we profit when we are godly is ourselves. Now, granted, God gives us the grace to be obedient so that we can praise Him. And God gives us the reward when we are obedient so that we will praise Him. But it's not like our goodness adds one spark to God's glory. Our confession says that God has all life, glory, blessedness, and goodness in and of Himself. He doesn't need anything. So what Eliphaz is hearing Job say is, you know, my life just seems to be unfair. Things aren't going right for me. Come on, God. Eliphaz thinks Job is saying God is somehow disturbed by my being disturbed. And so Eliphaz says, Job, God doesn't need you. Nothing is added to God by your goodness. And yet you're over here defending your goodness at all costs. So just repent and confess that you are a wicked man as Eliphaz begins to lay this all out in verse 5, because God is not harmed by your wickedness. Verse 4 is a little interesting. It can be taken in one of two ways. Perhaps the most obvious is, God, is God afraid of you? Will He correct you because He's afraid of your wickedness, that it will get out of hand? I almost think there that the pronoun is saying something just a little bit different. I think what he might be saying here is, will your fear of God keep you from being chastened, Job? Even if you are as righteous as you think you are, will that keep God from entering into judgment against you and chastening you? Now, just a few thoughts on this before we move on to the next section. There is way too little emphasis today on our thinking, on the independence of God and His self-sufficiency. In many respects, I think we tend to think that God is just a bigger and stronger and smarter version of ourselves. But remember what the Lord frequently asks through His prophets. What will you liken me unto? He says in Psalm 50, verse 12, If I were hungry, I wouldn't tell you, because of all the beasts of the field are mine, and the fullness of the earth and everything in it. I mean, the Lord needs nothing which is difficult for us to fathom, because we are dependent upon Him for our every breath. Just think of your clothes. Most of us don't make our own. Someone else does. Someone made the fabric. Someone processed it, just as they did the pews that you're sitting in on, and the lights that are in the ceiling. Someone built this building. Someone farmed the trees. Everything in our life tells us in very large, bold letters, we are dependent. But that's simply not true of God. It's very important for us at some level to come face to face with this because we will never, never glorify Him and really be drawn to Him unless we see that He doesn't need us. I know that sounds 
counterintuitive. And that is where the covenant comes in. Because you see, God is so dependent and so independent and so self-sufficient that you and I have no bargaining chips with Him. I'm not able to say, you know, Lord, I did thus and so, so why aren't you treating me better? Or, you know, Lord, I've been reading the Bible regularly for two months, but things haven't gotten better in my life, so what's going on? That is not how we are to think of God. That is not how we are to relate to God. God's not saying, I really, really want to bless you, so you'll, if you'll just do this, then I'll be able to. No, God doesn't cut deals. God is not able to be manipulated. We can't play emotional games with Him and pout. He doesn't say, oh, I'm really sad today. Gary's pouting. What can I do to make him feel better? God doesn't need me. He doesn't need anything. He has everything in Himself. We need everything He has. He needs nothing we have, and we can't add anything to Him. Now, if we just stop there, that would kill us emotionally. If we stop there at God's independence and self-sufficiency, it would be true doctrine but it would certainly be a cold one because we wouldn't have any confidence that he's concerned about us and that he loves us. I mean, what can I offer to him? I'm just man dust. What can I offer to God? Absolutely nothing. My praises, he doesn't need them. My good works, he doesn't need those. My good, pious feelings, he doesn't need them. He has everything. Everything that exists draws its existence from his power and his word. But here's how we cross the bridge, and that is this. God, who needs nothing, has seen fit to draw near to us in covenant. And our confession says, which is one of the most beautiful statements on the covenant that I think has ever been written, that we can have no fruition of God without covenant. Because I can't make a deal with Him. I can't go to Him on my own. He had to come down to us, even if we had not sinned, but certainly much more now that we have sinned. And He has come to us, and He has made a covenant with us. So if I cash value this just a little bit, when we're feeling a little broken, guilty, needy because of our sins, and when something happens in our life, we are brought face to face with, you know, I don't have it all together. I don't have everything I need. But I know from Scripture that God does have everything I need. But then how in the world can I draw from him what I do need since I'm so sinful and weak? And one word answers that, covenant. Because he has made promises to us and sealed those promises to us with the blood of his son. 
So even though I'm poor and needy, David says, yet the Lord thinks on me. The Lord, the self-sufficient God who doesn't profit, as Eliphaz says, by my goodness, he hears me. He supplies my needs. David said in one place, even when I thought I was cut off, even then the Lord heard my voice and my supplication. Why? Was it because he felt pity? Well, some of that is there because pity is part of the covenant. Compassion is part of his covenant, his bonded promises with us. So again, some of what Eliphaz said is true. And if I had time, I'd show that he stretches it out just a little bit. And by not bringing in the doctrine of the covenant, he leaves us with a cold doctrine of God that looks like he doesn't really care about us at all. But when you add the covenant, and particularly when you add the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the covenant, Isaiah says in 42.6, we see the love and concern of God for his people. The covenant, beloved, is not written on paper or on stone tablets. The covenant is a person, the God-man, the mediator of that covenant, who has been tempted in every way like we have been tempted, who sympathizes with us in our weaknesses, who has the interest of God and the interest of man perfectly united in one person, Therefore, when I am poor and needy, I can go to God through His Son. His throne is a throne of grace. And so I can have help. I can have comfort. I know He sympathizes with me. He understands what I'm going through far better than I do. And that will give me confidence, knowing that He hears me because of His grace. He will help me because of His love. He will save me because of His promise. Salvation, life, help, and trouble is God-centered. And you know, to keep our relationship with God from ever being sentimentalized, we have got to remember that the God we come to is lofty and He's high and holy. And He doesn't need anything He has to humble himself to look at what happens on the earth. And yet, at the same time, he possesses everything and says, I'll give you everything you need. I don't need you. You are a creature. I made you out of nothing, simply dust. I don't need you at all. But I know you need me. And so I've made a covenant with you that I will be your God and you will be my people. Think on these things, brothers and sisters, because this will generate assurance of God's favor and it will generate confidence in your prayers. You know, you think, why does God hear my prayers? And that's a very good question. And the answer is literally, for no good reason at all, in you Why would God ever forgive me? Good question. He shouldn't. Why would God ever let me into heaven? Again, a good question. He shouldn't. It's all His grace and mercy, which is pledged to us through His covenant because of His Son. 
then for the next 15 or so verses, everything goes downhill from here. Because in verses 5 through 14, Eliphaz very simply says, Job, you're a villain. You're a villain. Now again, does Eliphaz have any proof of this? No, it goes against everything Joseph, Job has testified of himself. Think about it for a minute. If they had, his friends had really thought Job was a villain, would they have come to him to comfort him in the first place? No. So Eliphaz is here grasping for straws. In fact, he's downright lying. But why is he doing this? Why does he say in verse 5, Job, your wickedness is great, your iniquity is infinite? He says in verse 6, Job, you have taken a pledge from your brother for nothing, and you have stripped the naked of their clothing, which is in violation of later Mosaic injunctions. For the weary, you have not given them anything to drink. You have withheld bread from the hungry. Verse 8, the only reason you have gotten ahead is because you are a mighty man and you take control of other people's lands. Verse 9, you sent away the widows empty-handed and you have broken the arms of orphans. Now, why would Eliphaz say such things? Because Eliphaz's premises demand this kind of conclusion. He doesn't have any evidence here. His premises are what? God is just. God always punishes the wicked on earth as they deserve. Job, you have been judged, therefore you must be a wicked man. And everything you did before, all of the piety, it had to be a pretense. Because you would not be going through this because God does not treat righteous men as he has treated you. So Job, you are a villain. Confess up. Verse 10, this is the reason you're surrounded with snares. This is the reason you are troubled by all of these fears. This is the reason you are surrounded by darkness. He reminds him in verses 12 and 13, Job, you've forgotten something. You've forgotten all of your riches and all of your prosperity and your pretended nobility that God is in heaven and he sees everything you are doing. He sees your hypocrisy. Somehow you thought to yourself, well, God can't see through that dark cloud. God can't see what I'm really doing. Verse 14, he must be walking around the heavens somewhere and he doesn't take any notice of what you're doing. This is very ugly. And for what Eliphaz says here, no wonder the Lord tells him at the end of the book, you better go back and humble yourself before Job. Now, verses 15 through 20. All Eliphaz does here is just say, let me give you my philosophy of history again. He completely ignores what Job has said in verse 29 of chapter 21, which says, Have you not them that go by the way? And do you not know their tokens that the wicked are reserved for the day of destruction? Job is saying, ask anyone you want to, and they will point out to you the man in that big old house, that big old kingdom, that wealthy man. He is wicked, which proves God does not always or usually judge the wicked in this life as we think he should. Here Eliphaz just repeats all that old stuff again. Job, he says in verse 15, let's go back and review our ABCs. Let's go back and look at what happens to wicked men. 
verse 16, they are always cut down, Eliphaz says. He goes back, which is interesting, to the flood and as an example of what happens to wicked men who said, God, depart from us. What can the Almighty do even though, verse 18, the Lord filled their house with good things? But he says, the counsel of the wicked is far from me. I don't want anything to do with their philosophy because they think God won't see. They think God won't judge, but he does. So Job, the righteous, see this judgment of God upon the wicked, and they're happy, and the innocent laugh them to scorn. But he says, Job, by the way, can I drive this home and make it just a little more bitter for you? Can I mock you just a little bit more before I close? Verse 20, we haven't lost everything we had, Job. We haven't lost everything of ours. But you're over here saying, I'm Mr. Righteous, I'm Mr. Integrity, I won't debate with God. But Job, look at who has been judged. It is you and everything you have has been consumed by the judgment of God. Therefore, Job, you are wicked. Two things here quickly before we look at the bulk of what I want to look at today. One, we need to tremble before God's judgments. You hear me? We need to tremble before God's judgment. We do not, I think, as a rule, when we see the flames in California or the flooding in West Virginia, or we see national blindness or God seeming to withdraw common grace, so that perversity, the stoning and killing of policemen in the streets of Dallas, parades down our streets as virtue, and we just say, yeah, that's really bad. But we need to think another way about this. We need to realize that it is a God judging us. And when God does manifest his displeasure, beloved, we need to be trembling at it. When, do, when we do see men's lives ruined by sin, we need to repent and we need to turn to the Lord and flee to our Lord Jesus Christ for refuge and for cleansing. It's one of the things we need to remember. I don't think there's a healthy fear of the Lord in this country today, which is why we don't look for his judgments. We forget that God is angry with the wicked every day, Psalm 7, 11. And it says in Psalm eleven five, the one who loves violence, God's soul abhors. Proverbs 6, these six things doth the Lord hate. Hate, and hate is a strong word, beloved. Yea, seven are an abomination unto him. Proud eyes, lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that thinks of wicked things to do, feet that make haste to run to evil, he who sows discord among brethren. So we need to take seriously God's hatred against sin, and we need to see instances of his judgment, and we need to repent and turn to him quickly. And secondly, here from... These verses, we need to remember what I've been saying the whole time. God does not always manifest His displeasure toward the wicked in this life. And so this points us ahead to the final reckoning. Very often, those who are the most salacious, the most perverse, the gaudiest in their wealth and their lifestyle, they seem to make it just fine through life. That's why the Bible continually tells us, don't evil the wicked, don't 
envy the wicked. Don't choose his ways. Don't sit in the way with sinners. Don't even go near there. Don't sit in the seat of the scornful. Don't even get near where these influences are because they negatively will influence us. You know, a little leaven leavens the whole loaf. And that'll bring us to the end of our time today here on Abounding Grace with our teacher and pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. Thank you for joining us today. It's our hope and prayer that we've been able to encourage you in Christ and stimulate your walk in Him. To address questions, comments, prayer requests, or concerns, please call or write to us. We'd love to talk with you. 408-866-5607 is our phone number, 408 408- Eight six six five six zero seven. You're also welcome to visit our website. Drop us an email when you do. Reformedheritage.org. Real simple. Reformedheritage.org. A lot of information there about who we are. We would invite you again to stop by. Reformedheritage.org. Or if you're writing to us, the address is PMB Post Mailbox four zero two, and the address is fourteen eighty four Pollard Road. Los Gatos, California, 95032. That address can be found on our website, reformedheritage.org, or again, simply call 408-866-5607. Copies of today's program are just $5. Mention today's date, and we'll get a CD out to you. And please remember that we are listener-supported, which means when you link arms with us financially, we're able to continue the ministry here on this station. It's a great way to study God's Word together, isn't it? And we'd love to continue to do so. Would you prayerfully consider how God might be leading you to partner with us? We'd love to hear from you. Again, won't you call 408-866-5607 or reformedheritage.org. Sunday services, by the way, if you'd like to join us, are 2 in the afternoon. We're located at Lone Hill Church, 5055 Lone Hill Road in Los Gatos. Directions can be found at our website, reformedheritage.org. Again, Sunday services are at 2 p.m. Further information can be found again at reformedheritage.org or by calling 408-866-5607. Thank you for joining us. Until next time, God bless. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.